Right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the most unique Sunday service I've ever I've ever preached. Uh, first off, it's Thursday afternoon, and we're gathering together through the the internet, and so uh, we are definitely experiencing different times where we are in the world in the last few weeks or week. It feels like a few weeks at this point. Uh, you may have noticed that I'm not at Grace Point Church. Um, we are down at uh, Cross Connection in Escondido, and so we are. Um, deeply grateful for the re- relationships that we have uh, with Cross Connection Church and their pastors. Um, earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, uh, in Costco, I, I bumped into them, and they, they, they offered us, hey, would you like to come down and preach a sermon? Uh, we can record it. We have all the technology. And so uh, that's what we're doing today. Um, and we are deeply grateful for their, uh, their, their spirit of cooperation and for the sake of the gospel that they want to bless our church. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with who they are, they're the ones who loan us out Garrett, who's down here uh, in the audience of three. Uh, I'm super grateful that Don and Isaac were able to come down to, um, to, to lead us in worship this morning. Um, we all agree that these are been a trying couple of days that the last few days have brought us. We certainly have a lot of questions about what the next few days and weeks are, are ahead of us. Uh, we, don't, we don't know, but we are confident that God is in control and that we can lean into him and uh, just rest assured that everything will be fine. Now, today I'm preaching to an empty room, uh, with the exception of the couple people that are, that are here today, and it's awkward. It was awkward back in seminary when I had to do it, and it's awkward now. And so I have a feeling that I'll get better at this in the next few weeks. So we'll, we'll, we'll do our part um, in, in seeing how this shakes out. It's, it's a preaching is a unique thing, and it's, it's something that uh, the people who are there in worship with you in community, uh, it really is a, a two-way um, thing. Um, so preaching into a camera is unique. Now I understand that uh, I'm meeting you in your living room or wherever you are in your house on your computer screen, phone, or however you're watching this now. Um, in the last few weeks, as I've been, we, I keep saying weeks, it feels like weeks, it's, it's been days, um, that I've been doing these little video clips to the congregation, sort of giving updates of where we are. Um, I've, I've received a lot of feedback over what to do and how to handle the next few weeks. Um, from a number of people, I heard back and said, would it be possible for you just to kind of pick up and mark? Uh, we're longing for some normalcy, and, and to be able to just continue our study would be helpful. And so instead of looking at a psalm or, or something more dealing with uh, uncertain times, I've opted to just resume our study in Mark, uh, trusting that God will meet us uh, through the text. Uh, he, he knew we'd be going through this when this text was laid out for us, months ago. And so I'm going to pray, and I'll read the passage. Um, See, this is already different. I normally would have already told you that we are in Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 12 through 26. So with that, let's pray, and we'll get into the text. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst. Uh, Lord, we uh, come to you with heavy hearts, and, and there's, uh, there's things that are going on around us concerning the coronavirus and just the uncertainty of, of life right now. There's the, uh, the fear for the elderly people and those with underlying health issues. Uh, Father, so we lift these, uh, these, these up to you. Father, we do pray for our, our government and those that are seeking to um, 
to handle this in a way that uh, preserves life and keeps people healthy. And so, Lord, we, um, we know that ultimately you are in control, and so we turn our hearts to you. We pray, Father, that you would help us not to be distracted from uh, the circumstances in our life right now, but that we would uh, be able to focus on your text and may your spirit uh, fill us and lead us and guide us, Lord, uh, through this passage. And so, Lord, we um, just ask that you would use this time uh, to draw us closer to you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 26. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seen at a distance, a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we begin in verse 12 when we read on the next day, and it really begs the question. It's like, oh boy, where are we in this passage? It's been, uh, I think, two weeks now since we were in the Gospel of Mark. And to remind ourselves of where we find her in the context of things, uh, in the last few weeks, Jesus has uh, been making his way south from the Galilee down to the Dead Sea on the east side of the Jordan, and then they made their way up. Uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, in our story, the day before, uh, they made it to Jerusalem. Uh, they, Jesus asked the guys to get the, the, the colt. They got the colt, and we had the triumphal entry for Palm Sunday. And they made their way down and up to the temple. And we were told that Jesus walked into the temple. He looked around. He saw what was going on. And it's like he just said, okay, that's enough. Let's get out of here. And so this is where we find ourselves in the story. 
And so we read when they left Bethany, he became hungry. So they, they'd left the temple. They'd gone back to Bethany. The next morning happens, and they're making their way back towards the temple. And we're told that Jesus is now hungry. Uh, this is the, the first phrase in the story that kind of, uh, there's a lot in this story that, that it's kind of is like to make sense of what is going on and, and um, the dual nature of Christ is so much in the story. So we find ourselves in the midst of a story where there's a miracle. And yet at the same time, we see that Jesus we're told that he's hungry, which is very human in his response. And he's going to come to a fig tree that's not producing anything. And instead of uh, Jesus in his divine nature, just forcing the fig tree to, to create some fruit for him, he destroys the the fruit tree. And, and as I've been wrestling with this story over the last couple of weeks, this part about he became hungry, uh, the, the verse that really comes to mind is Hebrews 4.15. Uh, this verse that tells us, for we do not have a high priest, who is, able, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so the, the scriptures makes it clear that Jesus in his dual nature, that when he was a man on earth, he struggled and was tempted and went through all of the things that we went through. And so as we're going through the uncertainty and sort of the, the anxiety of, of um, the the coronavirus or for most of I think for most of us it's more of the how's humanity going to handle the um, how are they handling this response I mean right now everybody's out buying toilet paper all of the hand sanitizer's gone you walk through the grocery store the, the shelves are gone and and there's something within us that's like oh man I know that a lot of us in this room express that when we're leaving today we got to go to the grocery store and it's like oh what's coming at the grocery store um but when I look at this, I'm, I'm reminded that Jesus, he was tempted differently than we are, but as we, were, as we are tempted. And so he relates and understands what we're going through, and we can, be, we can rest assured uh, that he's there with us. Um, he's compassionate towards us, and he, he, he's, he's walking through this with us, and we can trust him. And so now in verse 13, we read, Seen at a distance, a fig tree and leaf... He went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Um, so we're right away working with uh, what Mark does a lot in his, in his gospel, where he sort of sandwiches uh, a, a story, sort of bookends a story with, with two things. And so we have this, this fig story. And I, uh, I want to look at it, but I want to sort of hold off talking about it in detail. But we're introduced to the fig tree. Uh, what we're told is that there's a fig tree and leaf. We're also told, um, Mark tells us, that it wasn't the season for figs. And you can go through all sorts of commentaries, and you can figure what everybody thinks about this. And uh, you have five people, and there's probably 15 different views for the five people that suggest something. Um, it seems that it was early in the season. It wasn't time yet for the figs to be there. This tree in particular might have already started to sprout some leaves, um, and the other trees hadn't. Um, we don't know. Every, everything would be sort of um, speculation. But when we look at the text, we see that Jesus sort of looks across the valley. He sees this tree that's a fig tree. He sees that there's leaves on it, which suggests that maybe there might be 
um, some fruit on it. We, we see this. He went to see if per, perhaps, like perhaps, maybe, uh, he's not certain um, if he would find anything on it. And so when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Now, if you go to the commentators and you start reading about those, you know, those 30 different views or however many different views there are, um, you'll see that when uh, a fig tree begins to sprout leaves, um, the figs are the second part. But early on, there's a little stem that, that is edible that's not quite a, a fig. And, and so most believe that's what Jesus was, was looking for, this sort of edible sprout of, of um, the leaf that would be there to feed him. Now, of course, we know that Jesus is God. Um, we know that this wasn't the season for figs. We see that Jesus goes there sort of, um, perhaps there might be something. It wasn't like he was expecting there to be something. And so this this whole story just begs so many questions. Um, but right now, the thing we know is that Jesus presented like there would be fruit. Jesus goes there, there wasn't fruit. And then Mark tells us that it wasn't the season. And so this, um, so they shouldn't be surprised. Now, verse 14 is the shocking curse of Jesus. We read, he said to it, the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And so the first observation we need to make, this is the only destructive miracle of Jesus in the, the whole of the New Testament. All of his other miracles are we see a lot of healing. We see uh, uh, creating, so the miraculous feeding of the the, the five thousand and four thousand. Um, we see the calming of the storm. We see all of these wonderful miracles uh, that are uh, helpful and um, sort of bring assurance to people. And so this is a miracle that brings destruction upon this this fig tree. And at this point, I. I want to caution going on to interpreting it because I don't think that we can go there until we get to the other bookend. And so at this point, what we're told is that his disciples were listening. So they're making their way to the temple. Jesus sees a fig tree. There's not supposed to be figs. Mark says it's not the season. Jesus walks up to it. He starts look, rumbling through, ruffling through the leaves, and he can't find any figs. He looks at the fig tree, and he says, All right, may no one ever eat from you again. And the fig tree is cursed. And so when I look at this and his disciples were listening, uh, there's a couple obvious things to take into consideration. First, uh, are you his disciple and are you listening to Jesus? We're going through um, through a, a storm in our nation. I, I think everybody can agree on that. I think this is a time that we're reminded that we are to sit at the feet of Jesus, that we're to look to him for guidance, we're to, um, to, to, to listen to him. And we do that. Uh, through the studying of his word. And, and I am con- encouraged that many of our people, what they wanted more than anything was to resume the study of the scriptures if there was any way that we could do that. And so here we are sort of adapting to how we do Sunday worship in light of the circumstances. Um, I'd also say that um, for my own life and looking at this, one of the things I've been convicted about this week, as I'm prone, just like everybody else, of of getting into the um, what's going on here? The, the stock markets are crumbling. The news is saying it's the end and all of these bad things. And how am I uh, reacting to these news events, uh, especially within the context of my own home where there's uh, younger children in my home looking to me uh, to, to lead them through this crisis? And so um, 
I'm not sure that that's a context, but in the context of our lives, this is what's been speaking to me. And so now we, we work our way to verse 15. And they enter Jerusalem. They make their way up the hill. The story is moving to where we left off the night before. Uh, Jesus had made his way into the temple. This is Passover season. The city had swelled to a, a great number of people. And now it's morning time. He enters the temple, and he, he immediately begins to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He was overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And so immediately, if we follow the verbs in this story, we see that he's, he's driving out people. He's overturning tables, kicking over seats. Um, he's not allowing people to carry merchandise uh, through this temple. He, there seems to be some, some righteous anger in him. Uh, going into verse 17, we're told the why he's doing these things. Uh, we, we read there that uh, he began to teach and to say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? And so he's not losing his cool. I know he's anger, this righteous anger, but he goes through and he begins to teach them and to explain as he turns to Scripture. And considering the temple, he says, This is my house. Um, you know, Thinking about the temple, it's unique that here's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, in the temple, where behind the temple is the holiest of holies, where at the present time uh, the, 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 the presence of God actually dwelt. And so within this sort of compound of the temple, you have this, this sort of this story unfolding. And, and Jesus looks around. He says, my, my house was not intended for this. My house is to be a house of prayer and and in light of this, not to get ahead, but we're, we're seeing that they've turned it into this marketplace, this, this taking advantage of people. And he said, this is my father's house, that it's supposed to be a place of prayer. And I do think that during these uncertain times when we're forced to be home, we're forced to be in groups no greater than 10 people, um, can we turn our homes into houses of, of prayer, homes of prayer? Um, I'd encourage you to, if you're alone, find somebody that you can reach out to, maybe through cell phone, through uh, WhatsApp, or some some means to reach out to another person to, to pray with them. Uh, if you're married and it's you and your wife, I'd encourage you and your wife to be praying with one another. If you have a family, uh, take this time. Take advantage of this time. Our kids are worried. They can feel the anxiety um, that's just coming through every sort of means, whether you get a newspaper or you see online stuff, the news on the TV, there's an overwhelming uh, presence of anxiety. I mean, as simple as why are you snapping at your kid for using that much toilet paper? They're like, what's going on? What's the big deal if I use five squares? You know, it's, And uh, so we need to use this time to turn our houses into a time of prayer. So I would really encourage you, if you guys don't pray on a regular basis, to take this time to begin the spiritual discipline of, of praying within your homes, uh, seeking God. Um, he also points out that uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Uh, you know, through we, we forget that in the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel, God's always been a God of all of the peoples. Um, th- this week in particular, I have been communicating uh, with the missionaries that are overseas that we support. And obviously when there's a financial downturn in the market, um, those that serve in a, a capacity of ministry, especially overseas where they're, they're dependent on people's gifts, 
there's an uh, there's an underlying anxiety that they they have um, doing the work of the nations. And I'm deeply grateful that we as a church are so committed uh, to our missionaries. I know that uh, as a as a as a prayer request. Um, be praying for the guest family in particular. They in Romania are going through um, some difficult times. The young boy that we've been praying for, he passed away yesterday. Uh, it, he wasn't technically family member, but they were all in the process. Uh, I think it, I forget the detail of, of how it was connected to Chris, but I think it was a sister that was in the process of trying to adopt this baby or a teammate. And so this young boy did pass away. And so the, the family is um, going through turmoil. Romania is now... Um, this communist country is now getting ready to pull the switch on on enforcing some uh, old communist uh, regime regime activities by having the military in force. And so um, as we partner with them to reach the nations, um, they are going through some difficult times. And I know that talking to Chris today, he's like, well, my, I, the, in the back burner of all of the things in my mind, money's there, but it's so far back there that there are just so many other pressing things that are that are weighing on me. And so uh, please, during this time, as you have homes uh, where you're, where you, well, we have homes, but as you're confined to your homes and you find yourself spending more time there and you're turning your house into a house of prayer, use this time to pray for our missionaries to go through the church directory and pray for one another. Um, going on to the reason, he says, the reason why he's so upset about what they're doing he says, you have made it a robber's den. Speaking of the temple, um, we have all seen price gouging in the last week. Um, people selling Purell for you know huge prices that now the government is, is cracking down on, on the free market about what people can sell things for. Um, I had a friend say, hey, Gunnar, can I come get some eggs? I'm like, yeah, I got eggs. And it's like they're selling eggs for, for $10 for a dozen over at the store. And and while it's slightly different, it we feel it right now that there's people taking advantage of one another. The difference in this situation is the people were required by God to come to the temple to make their sacrifices, to make their offerings as an act of worship. And in the temple grounds, in the place that was supposed to be this house of prayer, these people turned it into um, a place where they could take advantage of the people. I noticed uh, one of the things that he kicked over was the, the chairs of those who were selling doves. And the doves were were given, were uh, it was an exception in the law, so that the very, very, the, um, the very poorest of the poor could still make an, a sacrifice to God. And so they had all of these temple-approved items that they were jacking up, the, the exchanging of money for the right money, um, they were taking advantage of the people. And as we enter into however long this, this season for us lasts, uh, you know, here I am on the Thursday preaching a message for Sunday that will be live streamed so that we can uh, gather together as best we can. Um, it, it does beg the question for us as a local church of, you know, what does God want from us? And I do think that as uncomfortable and trying as these next few weeks are, I think when we get through this, um, we will look back and go, man, you know, God did some really cool stuff and brought us together as a community of, of believers. I'm seeing so many uh, just neat and wonderful stories for, for people caring for one another and and giving um, 
out of their abundance, uh, kind of like we see in the book of Acts where we're giving there could be fear. They're giving out of faith and saying, you know what, you need this. I have extra. Let me help you out. And if, if, I, don't, if I can't get that two weeks from now, then I'll, I'll trust God to provide then. And so there's so many good opportunities that we're going through uh, as a local church that I do pray that through this, God would refine us to, to make us embody more of what he desires from us as a church. Now we come to verse 18. And we read, The chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. And so we see this, this plot to sabotage Jesus that began back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, is now unfolding. Jesus is in the temple. He's going after what they're doing. They're having to, to do something. And Mark is the only one that explains their motive. It says, for they were afraid of him. And it begs the question, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid of him actually? Are they afraid of him stepping on their authority? Is he, are they afraid of him stepping on their resources? And so now they have to come up with a plan to execute Jesus, which this is the Passion Week. The next few months will be in the Passion Week. They have to figure out a way to execute Jesus while the crowds are astonished about him. They have to do this in a way that they don't create a revolt and that they don't get in trouble uh, with Rome. But the crowd is simply astonished that they're looking at Jesus how he's confronting the temple, how he's doing these things, and they don't know what to make of it. The, the temple had so much authority and so much power, and it just seems like they're being, who is this man that is able to do this and to confront these leaders in this way? It was bold. And in verse 19, we come to the, the end of the sort of the story of the day, and it says, when, it, when evening came, they would go out of the city. And so they returned home, they made their way back. And then we come to the book end of, of, we come back to the fig story the next morning. And in verse 20, we read, As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And so suddenly this tree that they saw blooming, healthy, uh, thriving, you know, we, we're in that season now. It's, a, it's one of the happiest times of the year. In my house, we have this apricot tree that produces apricots. It's, it's gone into bloom. The leaves are coming up. I'm watching the rain. I'm like, oh, this is really good. I'm ready for these apricots to come. I hope the rainstorm's not hurting the little buds and how they grow. Uh, but, it's, but it's excitement. And uh, if somebody dumped poison on my tree, I wouldn't notice it tomorrow morning. Uh, it would be weeks and months like before I started to see, man, the tree's dying. It's like it looks like it's, it's something's off. Um, but Mark begins to tell us that this this was an accelerated death. This was a supernatural dying of the tree. And Peter notices this in verse 21. He says, uh, being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Like this is, this is not just like the tree slowly died. It's the next morning, the tree is dead. And it was supernatural. And Peter sees it and he's just like, did, hey, check this out, Jesus. Like, like Jesus didn't know what he had done. And so then Jesus answers and said to them, have faith in God. And there's a lot about this, pair, this whole story of the fig tree that, that, that causes a whole lot of discussion about what does it mean, what's the purpose. 
And I, and I want to pause so that when, when we look at this story, the first thing that Jesus responds to Peter is have faith in God. And it begs the question, well, how does this, how does this, like, so Jesus is hungry. He sees the tree. He curses the tree. He says, hey, may no one ever eat from you. Then the next day, they go back. The tree's dead. Peter's like, wow, check that out. And Peter's, Jesus' response to Peter is have faith in God. And so as we grapple with this story, we, we have to keep it in context. This, there's, there's the story of the fig tree on both sides of the temple. And so as we look at this, they all tie together, and we have to look at them in context. And Jesus saying about this fig tree, hey, have faith in God, that, that links it to the temple and what we were seeing in the temple. Um, in the temple, there was no faith. There was no fruit being seen within the temple. Um, it was a marketplace that was described as, as a robber's den, that they were taking advantage of people. It looked good on the outside. It had all of the evidence of spiritual things, but on the inside it was rotten and not producing anything that God desired of it. And so now we have this fig tree doing the same sort of thing. It has leaves. It's, it's, it's showing like it should have fruit. Jesus curses it. We go into the temple, we come back, and now when we're talking about this dead fig tree, the first thing Jesus says is have faith in God. He goes on to say in verse 23, Truly I say to you that anyone who says to this mountain, be taken up and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you that all, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and it will be granted to you. And so on the one hand, we have the temple. On the other hand, we have the group of disciples that's standing around this fig tree in the shadow of the temple on the Mount of Olives. And I think the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach his followers, he's like, what I want from you is I want faithfulness. I want you to have faith in God, demonstrating um, your faith, and that you can produce faith. Um, kind of looking at my notes here. He's preparing these disciples in the last week. Their whole world is going to be rocked. Jesus is going to the cross in a matter of days. And he needs to develop and cultivate within them this relationship with God that they have faith, knowing that their God is almighty and can do great things because he's all-powerful. And in this context, he links their prayers, he connects it to faith in God, and ultimately that God is the most powerful one, and that understanding who God is affects how you pray. And then there's this whole phrase about moving mountains, which, which some skeptics will say, oh, nobody's ever moved a mountain, and, and so God's not real because he tells them to move mountains, and Christians aren't going around the world praying to mountains to be cast in the ocean. Um, th this was a common figure, figurative language of the day that a lot of rabbis used to express uh, being able to accomplish something that was viewed as impossible. And so... I think the point is, he's said, like, you're going to come into impossible situations, and are you going to trust God to get you through these situations um, because you have an incredible God? He wants us to have absolute confidence that he is able to do whatever he desires and simultaneously that we're willing to subject our lives to him for whatever the outcome. 
I think of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, knowing that the Father could do whatever he desires, and he says, not my will, but your will. You can do whatever you want. I trust that you can do whatever you want. But in this situation, I'm submitting my life to you, and I will submit my will to whatever it is that you have come my way. And I think that there's a beautiful lesson in that. He continues in verse 25. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Um, I think this idea of forgiveness, sometimes forgiving somebody that has wronged you can be more impossible than the thought of moving a mountain. And I think that this is the first step I, for, for many of us or a thing that's holding us back from producing fruitfulness in our own life um, is forgiveness. Um, the thought that here Jesus, as the leaders, are beginning to execute their plan of bringing Jesus to death, he's teaching the disciples about forgiveness. And as we go through the story, Jesus is going to be on the cross as they're nailing his, his hands and nailing his feet, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And so as he's doing all of this, it's this beautiful picture. The disciples are listening to him. The disciples are following him. And here Jesus, knowing what he's entering into, he's teaching them about forgiveness. And if you were to go over to the count of Matthew, which we don't have time to do right now, but you can do this on your own today, you'll see that this is the account where Peter then, like, how many times do we have to forgive? And like struggling with this, this idea of forgiveness. Um, but, but if we want to produce fruit in our lives, a good first step is forgiveness. As I look at this story, um, I see that this story, this unusual story, you know, as we've been doing the Bible app, many of us are reading through um, the Bible in a year and we're doing it as a group on the version app. Um, it, it, it seems like Two weeks ago or so, we were in this story, and I got an email from one of the ladies that was in this, and she's like, can you help me understand this, uh, this, this fig tree story? It, does, it just seems odd because it wasn't the season, and Jesus curses the tree. It, it, I, I'm having a hard time understanding like the purpose of this. And so thankfully for the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, kind of this fig tree story has been bouncing around in my mind, knowing that it was coming in the sermon. And the more I considered this, uh, this, this miraculous act of Jesus, the only one that's destructive, is it seems that this, this, this destruction of the fig tree was ultimately an act of mercy to those that were observing this miracle. Because what it did is it forces them and it forces us to look at our lives in, in light of the temple and what they were doing and sort of asking ourselves, are, are we filled with faith? Are we filled with fruit? Are we seeing the fruit of the Spirit within our own lives? The temple had all of the external things. The, te the temple had all the trappings of beauty from Herod building it up. It had all of the religious power. It had all of the people flocking. And, you know, t today... As we find ourselves as, as, a, as a community of, of believers, not, not just in Valley Center at our church, but all of the churches in Valley Center, the churches in San Diego County, re really the churches in our nation, we, we find ourselves in this wonderful place because I've been saying it for years, the church 
isn't the building. The, the building is the place where the church gathers. And, and so here we are in this place where, where God is doing something in our lives. It's going to force us to our knees. It's going to force us to, re, to really pray uh, with faith. It's going to shake us in a way that we really um, have to go to an almighty God and grapple with, Lord, do I trust you through this? Um, also, when I look at this verse, one of the passages that, that keeps popping to my mind is in Romans chapter 11, this, this great passage with Israel. And in Romans 11, chapter 20, or verse 20 through 21, uh, Paul is talking about Israel, and which would be the temple, and how God did this thing and destroyed the temple and the grafting in of the Gentiles. And in this verse, he says, quite right, they were broken off for their what? It says their unbelief. He says, but you stand by faith, that the whole purpose is he's trying to produce faith and faithfulness within our own lives. And then he continues and he says, do not be conceited, but fear, for God did not spare the natural branches. He will not spare you either. And so we see this push for the followers of God, for those of us who trust in Christ, that we are to have belief and faith in him, the almighty God, that regardless of what's going on, he's sovereign. None of this caught him off guard. We can trust him to lead us through these difficult times. If you're like me, probably all of us, there's some level of fear. And when I read this verse, it's like, okay, Gunnar, if you want to be afraid of something, be afraid of God. Proverbs tells us that the fear of God is it's the beginning of, of wisdom and the beginning of understanding. And so we need to keep our eyes focused on him. Uh, this morning I was reminded of a, a story. Uh, that's It's Anna's favorite book and, and has become my favorite book since I married her. And the book is Evidence Not Seen about an old missionary in World War II, uh, Darlene Diablo Rose. And she in Papua New Guinea was there. I think it was Papua New Guinea or one of those islands. Um, she eventually got um, taken captive by the Japanese, and she spent most of the war in this prison camp. And she tells the story of being in isolation, and she um, she had bad stomach issues, dysentery. She was weak. Um, she was barely eating and, and super, super frail. And she describes this, this window in this concrete cell that was, that was, she could, if she stepped on something, she could just barely kind of, kind of see out the window. And she said when she was doing that, she spied somebody, uh, somebody within the camp. I'm not quite sure their role, but she could see somebody outside of, uh, outside of the prison fence was slipping her bananas. And, and she was praying. Uh, for these bananas. All she wanted to eat was bananas. And she described her incompetence or, and her inability to trust God during this, pe- uh, this season. And she writes, what I needed to do was to link my impotence to God's omnipotence, meaning her inability to his almighty power. But I, could see, but I couldn't see how God could get a banana to me through the prison walls. Then she talks about, eventually, a few days later, this prison guard who she thought was going to come beat her, he opens the door and he slings in 92 bananas into her prison cell and said, these are for you, enjoy them, shuts the door and walks away. And she said that she has never felt, in that moment, that she had never felt more ashamed before God and more embarrassed for her lack of faith in him. And in that, 
she says, you know, I was reminded that God can care for me. And she writes, in the quiet of the shadowed cell, he answered back within my heart, that's what I delight to do. The exceedingly abundant above anything you ask or think, I knew in those moments that nothing is impossible for my God. And there isn't. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for all that Christ has done for us. We thank you for your love and care for us. Father, we pray that you would help us during these uncertain times, that you would uh, fill uh, our tank with faith, Lord. May we truly lean on you. May we truly trust in you for all things. Lord, help us to see your might. Help us to see your power. Help us to truly understand that you are in control. Father, when our faith is weak, we pray that you would help us uh, to be encouraged, Lord, whether it's with another brother and sister within our, our body. May we see you, Lord, moving in our midst. Uh, we are grateful, Lord. We long uh, to be a people who are faithful to you. Uh, we desire to be a, a people of great faith. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would produce great fruit in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.